Hello, listeners. This is Paul Masmajan with Stigmatic. Stigmatic is a mental health platform where we'll discuss all mental health matters, but especially addiction and substance abuse. I'm in long-term recovery myself, and everyone I host on this podcast um, is either in recovery themselves or very involved in the recovery world. Today on episode two is Mitch. Mitch is the founder of Mitch Motivates. He's in recovery himself, um, and he'll tell us all about it right now. Thank you so much for showing up and making the time today. Let's do this. Good. I love the intro. I don't think I've ever had an intro before, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, the people love my intros. I'm, I'm happy. I put a lot of work into it. <laughs> All right. So, Mitch, you want to start by kind of telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what brought you here, your recovery, all that good stuff? Yes, of course. Um, my name is Mitch Leff, um, a.k.a. Mitch Motivates. I am basically, I am a recovery addiction, mental health specialist, advocate, supporter, motivational speaker, coach, all wrapped up in one. Um, nice. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little bit about my personal background and then kind of how it transitioned into Mitch Motivates and like where I'm at today. Um, <laughs> I guess kind of like what it was like, what happened and, and what I'm like now. Right. Nice. Yeah. Um, I grew up in North Jersey, Melbourne, New Jersey, you know, and, and I, you know, I say, I like to say this in every podcast or like everything I do. I like to name as many things as possible to give people the chance to identify, you know, like yeah, I one like of my that. biggest, yeah. One of my biggest pet peeves of all time is someone from when you meet someone in New York and they go, I'm from Long Island. Well, everyone in New York City knows Long Island. So it would be more helpful if you say the town you're from. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I never thought it th- that way, but that's true. I, the more information you give, <laughs> you know, people can identify. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm from Melbourne, New Jersey, really nice upper middle class town. And I have a great family and I grew up in a great town, great friends, everything. Um, but when I first tried alcohol and later all different kinds of substances, you know, I just reacted differently. Um, and it, I turned into someone who was an abnormal drinker pretty quickly. That was the first thing I did, you know, actually, even before then I would, I had behaviors that indicated that, you know, I like things that make me feel good. So mm-hmm. whether it candy, money, you know, I had a, I had a phase where I would steal money, um, even before I picked up a drink, um, even chewable vitamins that tasted good. I remember my earliest memory of doing something like an addict was climbing on my kitchen counter and chewing and pouring out a handful of vitamins <laughs> and eating a handful of vitamins like candy. Cause they tasted good. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like set the tone, anything that tasted good. I did not take as prescribed, you know? Um, and trying alcohol with friends in a basement turned into drinking by myself pretty quickly turned into, you know, nothing was as fun unless I was drunk, you know, turned into like, why would I drink with other people when I could just drink by myself and get drunk? It's easier. Um, 
turned into smoking pot every day, turned into smoking pot multiple times a day, uh, turned into making new friends who smoked pot multiple times a day, um, turned into weeding out, <laughs> uh, funny word there, turned, weeding out uh, the weed smokers who didn't use as much as I did, um, mm-hmm. turned into you know, getting rid of the, my new friends that didn't want to do cocaine. And like, so like, just like isolating people and just like surrounding myself with just like people who were like just as troubled as I was. Um, and then it turned into when I found cocaine that just was more powerful and more awesome than anything else I was doing. Yep. And I started doing that in high school multiple times a day. And it just like, again, like, kind of like the vitamins thing like it just like cocaine was good um so it didn't make sense to me to do it like on a saturday night at a party you know in terms of cocaine use even though i don't condone it i would say a more acceptable time to do it is at a party rather than before third period in your car um Mm -hmm. but it just made sense if it felt if it felt good why not just do it like whenever i want it you know um And it, pro- it progressed like that. Um, I had a bunch of consequences on the, along the way. Um, graduation night from high school, I got arrested. Um, just like all these things happened. Um, people were like, I remember July 4th, the summer before I went to college, this kid that I went to, uh, I went to Indiana University. That's where I was going strictly because I knew it was a party school. And like, I made all my decisions based on, you know, drugs and alcohol and drugs mm-hmm. and more drugs, you know? Um, and I remember him coming up to me and said, Mitch, you better slow down. Like when we're in IU together and like, instead of like being like a warning, I was like, Oh shit. Like a popular kid came up to me and was like, notice what I was doing, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I- I get to Indiana and it was like completely downhill from there. I mean, like at this point I basically was doing cocaine almost every day. Um, pot all the time drinking. And I just like really couldn't stop. And I was, when I was all alone in college, it was just the end. Um, I just like didn't go to class and I became a like degenerate drug addict. Um, I could tell stories the whole podcast, but to make mm-hmm. it quicker, um, I, um, April of my freshman year of college, I ended up going back to New Jersey for a family event and ran away from home. Um, the cops found me a couple of days later. They, my parents had filed the missing persons report. They took me to the hospital. I said I had a problem. Um, and a week later, I was in treatment. And it just was like that. Boom. You know? Mm-hmm. And then the, a week into treatment, I turned 19 years old. So that's kind of where I was at. Um, but like what set the tone early on is like, I guess it was, I was kind of helped. I was kind of glad that, that I got sober early. Yeah. Um, so you got sober at 19. Yeah. A week into rehab, I turned 19. That, that was the first time I got. And you, and you've been sober ever since. Uh, no. Um, part of my story is basically coming into 12 step programs and, and getting all the support and not really listening. Um, and as a result, I had a, I had a bunch of relapses, um, for about two years and, but Mm -hmm. I've been sober since I've been 20, 21. Nice. Years old. Yeah. I'm 33 now. Yeah. Amazing. 
Yes. Um, and basically my story in with recovery is like when I follow what people have told me to do, I get better and I stay sober. Mm-hmm. When I don't, <laughs> you know, when I don't, I, you know, not like it's harder for me to stay sober. And also I kind of like act out in certain ways. You know, I look back to what I did with the vitamins, you know, anything that feels good. I just want more of it, regardless of what it says on the bottle, how to take it or like how, how, how it's prescribed or, you know, if it feels good, I want as much of it as possible. I don't care about consequences, you know, and that kind of like has carried over to other things besides drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's my story. Like when I, when I, and that's why today I believe in like my higher power, Paul, we don't need to talk about it too much. My God is like good energy and like positive vibes. Like when I do the right thing, good things happen to me. When I do the wrong thing, bad things happen to me. Yeah. And like, so basically what happened is I came to a point when I was close to double digit sobriety is that like I started getting kind of bored of the recovery community. Um, Mm -hmm. and I started like getting into like the fitness community. Um, and it kind of turned me into, you know, to start my Instagram page and then it turned into a website. Now it's a company called Mitch motivates. And I kind of have combined what I learned through the fitness world with my motivational world and with my recovery world into this one, you know, thing that I believe is just a hundred percent, you know, spreading positivity, spreading recovery, spreading mental health, spreading love, spreading Mm -hmm. awareness. And basically, you know, my message is like, you know, that, you know, I mean, so many different things, but through my journey is like one, like everyone's struggling with something, you know, two is like, you don't have to, you know, sobriety is not only about 12 steps, even though personally I'm in a 12 step program, I just Mm -hmm. know that more people are in recovery and are getting sober or like just need to stop things. And more people do that without 12 steps. So I know like, you know, the numbers and I'm just like a big advocate for like meeting someone where they're at and trying to help them whatever way possible by just trying to keep it motivational, supporting and loving. So that's kind of how I got to Mitch Motivates kind of, it kind of was like a combining everything I learned from like the time that I started my trip when I was in rehab to like all the ups and downs of life. And now I'm in New York city. I turned my brand into a company and I'm kind of um, now like a recovery consultant in the field. Independent. Nice. Yeah. So Amazing. Yeah. Where I, you, you, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff you said that, that I really enjoyed. Um, okay. I could identify with a bunch as well, which is, which is great. Um, you know, what you said about Coke and, and, you know, that being like the most kind of, you know, the, the one that, that accelerated everything because it felt good. And if it felt good, why wouldn't you do it every day? You know? And, and that's, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it comes back to um, also what you were saying about, you know, I'm also a strong believer that there's like addictive personality and I was literally born with it. So like as a kid, me, you, it was vitamins, chewables. Me, it was, you know, those mini uh, Coca-Cola cans, um, like the, yeah. the airplane size. 
and my mom had to stop buying them because I would, I would like down 15 of them in a day because it would, you know, give me a sugar high. I like, I love Coca-Cola and it, you know, I've always been excessive. And so, you know, the bottom line is once it was, you know, access to like drugs and stuff like that, the same thinking, you know, was just portrayed. And obviously it's, it's much more destructive than vitamins or Coca-Cola. Um, and, um, and yeah. it brings you down pretty quick. And so we do, you know, I didn't know your, your story, like the specifics. And I always love hearing, um, other people's journey. And it reminded me of mine, you know, and I got sober at 23. So similar kind of time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 28 today. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you said and with the AA, you know, it's the same. Um, I, I, I really enjoy what, what you say about, you know, even though it's part of your story, it doesn't mean like everyone's struggling with something. And, and I really yeah. enjoy that because some people, you know, when I came in, I was becoming very like judgmental of other, like it's either all or nothing, like 12 steps, AA or, or you're not sober, but it's not true. There's, there's, you know, nothing is, is, uh, black and white. And there's some people, you know, if someone was struggling with opiates and hasn't had an opiate in over 10 years, but you know, still drinks and does a little part, well, that's a win for them. You know, it's, it's, um, they, they got away from something that was dangerous and maybe, you know, they're able to drink normally. And, you know, maybe it was more situational than like anything else. And there's room for like, there's room for so many different scenarios in, in the addiction field, you know? Um, and I think being yep. open-minded like that is, is, um, yeah, is good proof that, you know, you're, you're well within yourself too, you know, like accepting that like everyone is different. Um, yeah. And yeah, you know, to, to talk about that a little, like, I, I, I you know, I, I'm a huge, um, 12 step AA and NA, but I see some, some, not some bad, but some issues with it where it can be very, you know, like you're not unique. We're all the same and all that kind of stuff, which pushes away some people that might have some reservations on X, Y, Z, you know? Um, and unfortunately it is once, you know, one size fit all, but if you go in with an approach of like picking and choosing, which, you know, that's what I did and go for the things that work and leave out what doesn't, um, it, it kind of works out well. Yeah. hundred um, percent. One thing I wanted to ask you, there was a, one other thing, but I, I can't remember anymore um, that you said that I, I really enjoyed. Um, no. Yeah. I think it was when you, yeah. When you said about asking people, like basically if, if you, you know, follow kind of directions and ask for suggestions and do them, I think the huge thing yeah. in this whole mental health, you know, the stigma in general is to be humble. Like I think our egos um, are kind of a barrier to help because, you know, society tells us to be self-sufficient, to be independent financially, emotionally, you know, so we, we just want to be like good and do everything on our own where like the key to success is that, you don't know everything. You're not the smartest guy in the room. But if you ask everyone, everyone has expertise in so many different things. So if you just reach out to people and ask them before yeah. you make any decision and stuff like that, you're basically like a resource broker with like all these people that have the knowledge. And, and I think it's, it's, it's all about being extremely humble with that. You know, reaching out is, is, is tough, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Like it's, that's, 
it really is the key for me to success is to be able to like rely on other people for things that, you know, you might not know. Um, but a lot of people know, you know, more than you do on, on a lot of things. So it's, it's, um, it's interesting. Yeah, a hundred percent. And just to like quickly comment on that, like due to, you know, the coronavirus pandemic, um, and a lot of people around the globe quarantining, I think now more than ever is, can be an opportunity for like more people to get that help for, for the community. It's one of the reasons that I am so big into like social media, mm-hmm. website, like podcasts, and even Zoom 12-step meetings. Yeah. Um, because they give, they give people more access and people just want to be, people just want to be like heard and they just want to like identify with stuff, dude. It's like, mm-hmm. like, and yeah, that's why even on a bad day, I just always keep it positive because I just yeah. want people to just be positive and, and just continue to identify. And I think like, hopefully, you know, the reach of, of recovery and love and motivation and support is growing exponentially as a silver lining, hopefully of coronavirus. You know, a perfect example, you can log on to a Zoom meeting, no face, no picture, change your name, if you are completely uncomfortable going to that meeting, but maybe you can have some window of tiny bit of courage to be like, you know what, maybe I should log into that like Overeaters Anonymous meeting. I won't show my face. I'll change my name to like Jane and I will listen, you know? Yeah, that's a huge That is something that could have been done before, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the virtual, I, I really think the next, you know, the next big health crisis is, is mental health. And as you said, quarantine and everything, and the uncertainty and everything we've been going through um, is a huge catalyst to like people needing, you know, mental health help. And yeah. you're so right. I mean, the virtual aspect really opens so many doors, like people that even people with like huge social anxiety that just like entering that room with like 25 yeah. or more people sitting there and all looking at you. Whereas you can literally log in, as you say, and turn your camera off, put Winnie the Pooh as a name and, and <laughs> yeah. you go and, and, and just listen. Like, it's amazing. Um, so that's definitely a gift. And, and I like that you see the positive and yeah. the negative, you know, that's, that's a huge, of course, that's a huge tool you know that that i use as well you know you you can find something positive about the most um hard situations you know and and i think yeah i mean yeah yeah go ahead no i was just gonna say you know they say that expression you know 90 percent of life is just showing up yeah um i i also agree that not i think from my experience 90 percent of like my recovery journey has just been like showing up like am i willing to show up for this so mm-hmm. now as a silver lining, because of the pandemic, we make it easier for you to show up. You just literally with one finger, you can press a couple buttons and show up for your recovery. Um, yeah. So that, that, you know, so I just, just wanted to add that little antidote. hundred percent. Yeah. That's very true. And oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Also just to kind of finish and, and go back, you, you touched on it a little with, you know, being positive, even on a bad day. You know, uh, yeah. some people, so I personally suffered from and still kind of suffer from like clinical depression. So even before, and it makes a lot of sense, you know, the way I was using and isolating on my own and doing cocaine, et cetera. Um, 
And then once I got sober, I didn't, you know, I, I took the time to kind of reset my, my mind and everything and, and be better. But like one year in, I was, I was feeling very, very low and, you know, I went back to the doctor and everything and, and yeah, I, I had, you know, clinical depression. And so it's, it's, it can be tough for people that do suffer from depression to, um, not buy into, but be motivated by like, for example, your Instagram account, I follow it religiously. I love it. It's, you know, it's positive, positive, positive. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Fitness. I'm also a huge believer that, you know, mind and body, like the body, if you move it, if you sweat, you know, you'll feel good. I always feel great after a run. I always feel great after a workout. Um, and, and I'm, you know, with similar like that, that it's like always a hundred, like, I want to feel a hundred. I want to wake up feeling a hundred and everything. But the reality is some days I don't. And I do struggle when I don't, because I go in this spiral of like, it's always going to be like that, you know? And, and I go in this like vicious cycle of negative thinking of like, this is how I'm going to feel for the rest of my life, you know? Whereas like I've yeah. now I've been better at kind of like pausing, doing something different, you know, going for work, whatever, changing my, you know, kind of like the brain chemistry, like shuffling it around. And, and I know that, you know, tomorrow might be an amazing day. So it, it makes me, you know, go through, but how do you deal with that? Cause I'm pretty sure, yeah. you know, you, there's days where you wake up or, or something happens and it doesn't feel good. And so how do you shift your perspective on things? Yes. The, Paul, and I hear you dude. And, and I am as human as anyone else. And I also have bad days. Um, for me, it's the only way is gratitude and trying to look for the silver lining and positivity in fucking anything, dude. Mm-hmm. Literally anything. If my day is horrible, but I still have a roof over my head, I'm just like honing in on like, Okay, I own my apartment in New York City. I paid my Con Edison bill. You know, Verizon is paid. I can go on the internet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, so go. I have so my, go for my like. My family uh, loves me. Just yeah. Soup, no matter what. Food, gratitude food on the table. Yeah. Whatever it is, I may have the worst morning, but if I like look up and see my dog in my bed smiling at me, like. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like just focusing on gratitude and there is really positivity. If you look for it, there is a silver lining in, in everything. I believe even the most negative things that can happen to me, the worst things that could happen to me. If I believe that there's a lesson to be learned from it, I'm going to like search the internet for like some quote that says like, you have to go through rough stuff in order to like get, you know, be positive or like, your heart is like a glow stick. It needs to be broken before it shines bright. Like cheesy stuff, but, but like, like that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. like no matter what, I'm being grateful and, mm-hmm. and, and I have positivity and I try to see, not always successfully, but try to see the positivity and the silver lining and everything. And I've done that for so long that I've trained myself to do this and it makes it so easier. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, you know, you can even, you know, just reason, you know, I just try to be like reason and just try to be grateful and just, you know, and even if it's a couple of things, I still have those things, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that I've trained myself to, to do those two things, which are 
super helpful. And mm-hmm. then when the, when I'm having a really good day, I'm like overwhelmed with like right now, like I am overwhelmed with gratitude as I look ar- around my apartment, see my dog on my couch. I've cooked mm-hmm. myself breakfast. I'm about to go out and work, you know, and I'm going to see my family later tonight. Like, overwhelmingly positive and, and, and gratitude. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting because it's, it's as easy to be ungrateful than it is to be grateful. And by that, I mean like it's so <laughs> yeah. easy to shift from, cause I'm, I'm a victim of sometimes like being ungrateful and looking for all the shit that I don't have and, you know, not being where I think I should be in life and not owning X, Y, Z, blah, blah, You know, you, you always have people with more and shit, you know, the, the grass is greener and you can go in that yeah. spiral, but it's the same on the other way. You can, you're, you can mm-hmm. literally think of even people, you know, in, in third world countries, like you, you can go and, and as you said, go with the basic stuff. Like I have a roof, I have my MacBook, I have my TV, I have food on the table, um, running, running water. That are, exactly. Yeah, I, clean I, water. A toilet. I that have works. legs that are working, and so it's it's easy. <laughs> it's as easy to go the yeah. other way and and live in gratitude. So with that, um, yeah. let's end on gratitude. I think it's a beautiful. Love it's definitely it. a, a, a beautiful thing, and um, I'm very grateful that um, we had this uh, talk. And and thank you so much yeah. for sharing, being vulnerable and, and, um, and telling your story. It was a, a lot of wisdom. You're welcome, Paul. And I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful for what you're trying to do with stigmatic. I think that it is amazing. And I really think you're onto something here, dude. And I look forward to hearing, um, future episodes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Speak soon.